the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and Kara Waddell's got the weekend off. She's actually uh, traveling, and hopefully she's having a good trip, a little spring break for Carrie and the kids. And uh, so, yeah, we'll look forward to her getting back next week. And, of course, don't look now, but we've gone into March, and we've got March Madness beginning. And now I'm not talking about your college championship basketball brackets. We're going to be talking about your income tax bracket. So if you've listened to this show over the years, we've been doing this financial food for throw radio show for decades. And always in March, we highlight what is going on in the crazy March madness of tax preparation. And this year, there's no shortage of topics that we'll be covering over the month of March on our shows. And you can always go back and listen to the podcast, and I'll give you that information here shortly. But as far as topics, so we'll be talking certainly about the Security Act 2.0 that passed as part of the Budget Reconciliation Act at the end of last year. Uh, we can be talking about the GOPS flat tax proposal and the way they want to eliminate the IRS, uh, you know, because they're concerned that the Democrats are weaponizing the IRS. Are you concerned about that? What about the mess at the IRS? Uh, are they getting caught up? Is anybody working for the IRS? Are they going to answer your phone calls when you call with your tax questions this tax season? Um, we, we had Ohio gambling for the first time legally, and you know that the tax effects of that. What did they say? Over a billion dollars in gambling over in the first like month in Ohio. And you know, are you going to be getting one of those W two Gs? Or are you going to get one of those ten ninety nine Ks that that you know that talk about? You have to report your gambling tax winnings. And I'm going to talk about that today, but that's certainly um, thing. But I want to get started with you. Got it, everybody? Are you ready to feel the burn? The things that I would suggest is that the funding for Social Security is reasonably regressive. 
Look, Social Security is not an investment opportunity. It is an insurance policy. You're not there to make huge amounts of money. You're there to be sure, 100% sure, that when you get old, it will be there for you. You want to invest in Wall Street? Go for it. That's not what Social Security is about. And the truth is that Social Security, since its inception, we should be very proud of that. No matter whether the economy is terrible, whether it's good, never has an American received a letter from Social Security saying, sorry, you didn't get your payment this month, but it's not enough money. We have paid every nickel owed to every eligible beneficiary. That is what Social Security is about. I have introduced legislation with Elizabeth Warren and others, which really addresses the crisis. This is what it does. Right now, we have the crazy situation. Somebody makes $10 million a year. Somebody makes $160,000 a year. They both contribute the same exact money into Social Security. And what that means is if you make a million dollars a year and I make $62,000 a year, we end up contributing about the same amount of money into the Social Security. So what this montage is doing, of course, is it's it's showing that Bernie Sanders has been talking about his Social Security reform for decades. <laughs> and and I know you can't see the video, but it, they're going back. They're, they're they're saying what he said recently when he was mentioning the hundred and sixty thousand dollar threshold, where then they cut back to a, a much much earlier one when the threshold was only sixty two thousand. So he's he's talking. So even though as the decades have been going by. He's still talking and he's still uh, pushing his Social Security reform. Pretty fun. I think that's regressive. If you lift that cap starting at $250,000, you know what you could do? You extend the solvency of Social Security for 75 years and you raise Social Security benefits, not lower them. And that's what we have to do. Okay, so that's his pitch, uh, you know, that you can – his – plan to take care of the social security solvency issue which is a true issue everybody knows that but his plan he's saying will shore up social security for 75 years and it would actually include an increase in benefits a 200 dollars a month per social security receiver benefit i'm not sure if that 200 dollars a month was for a certain income level, I, that's getting into the weeds. And so he calls his bill, right, the um, Social Security Expansion Act. But <laughs> I think it's better known as Scrap the Cap Bill. Now, if Carrie was here, she would probably have a replacement word for cap that rhymes with scrap. But I'm going to try to keep it clean here, and I'm not going to try to say Scrap the Cap Bill 10 times fast. But so what is in that? So we'll talk about what is in Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's bill. And is does it have any possibility of passing? No, I don't think so. But we'll see. Um, also today, I'm going to do part two of the tax wrappers. So if you listened to last week's show or if you missed it and you want to go back, you can always catch our shows on our podcast. So you, you just have to visit our website, which is financialfoodforthought.com. That's your state, the state planning team's website. And on that, there are links where you can go into the podcast and the radio station. They bank a lot of those back shows and you could just call them up by date. And it acts just like a tape recorder. <laughs> you can start them, you can stop them, you can go back and listen at your convenience. So again, you can just have to go to our website, financialfoodforthought.com, 
click on the podcast button, go back and find the date you're looking for. So last week I started the tax wrappers part one. Today I'm going to do the tax wrappers part two. And then, of course, we'll also be talking about some of the March Madness topics uh, that, that we'll be dealing with all the month of March as everyone now is getting into the mode of looking at their tax preparation. But let's go back to the Social Security Expansion Act. So you heard his pitch where it would expand benefits for by an average of about $2,400 a year per person and completely finance social security for the next 75 years. So there's a couple parts and I'm not going to get too much in the weeds on the radio, but the main parts about it and where, where it gets the, the otherwise known as scrap the cap bill is that it, it deals with how much of your wages is subject to the social security tax. Okay. And so currently that number is for 2023, that number is $160,200. So the first $160,200 is subject to the Social Security tax. The tax itself currently is at 12.4%. Now your employer plays, pays 6.2% and you as an employee have 6.2% withheld from your pay. Okay. Now if you're self-employed, yeah, you have to pay all 12.4% because you're also acting as the employer as well as the employee. But don't worry, your CPA is going to figure it out how you can deduct half that because it's as a business, payroll taxes is a true expense. So even though you have to start by doing the 12.4%, you turn around and you get a deduction for half that. So your net is back to what your W-2 employee, 6.2%. All right. Now, so what the plan is, is that they, they want to, um, they want to raise that. Now he mentioned the $250,000. Actually, the bill says a single person that would be 200,000. But again, shortcut on the radio, we're going to be talking about the joint filers. So the 250,000. So what he is saying is it's creating one of those donut holes we call in the, in the wonderful world of taxes where you're saying that, okay, so everybody's currently is taxed on the first 160,200. Then it stops. And then though, there's this donut hole, meaning there's no additional taxes on the next up to this new threshold, which is $250,000. And then any taxable income or wages as we earned income above the 250,000, there is no more cap. Now, now it's just there. That's all tax too. So you can imagine how much money that would bring in, which is why they're confident in saying it would shore up security for 75 years. You know, think of the, 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 you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and how much money they're making, right? And, and in fact, he gives some, you know, he gives some examples. Um, you know, he says right now, right now, a Wall Street CEO who makes 30 million pays the same amount into Social Security as someone who makes 160,000 a year. Our bill puts an end to that absurdity, which allows us to protect Social Security for generations to come while lifting millions of seniors out of poverty. That's the and that's going to be a winning message, right? So he's going to get a lot of votes for that. I don't know if, if Bernie Sanders is planning another presidential run in 2024 or Elizabeth Warren, but I wouldn't pass it either one of them. Now, 
So we're back to what it does. So, so that, so a lot of people are saying, well, yeah, that's not going to affect me. As a matter of fact, a lot of retirees who are getting social security benefits right now, they're not, they're not, they don't care about what the cap is because they're not working anymore. They're, they're not paying in anymore. So they, they could care less. What they're going to hear is the extra 200 a month that they're going to get under this plan, right? That's what they're, you know, banking on. Now, the, uh, but, but the sneaky part about the rule, is that it eventually closes out that donut hole. Because the way the bill is written, now obviously, or I should say maybe not obviously, but I'm saying there have been various versions. Like I said, Bernie Sanders has been pushing this for decades. So there have been very various versions and 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 not ha- and and they've changed slightly. But the idea is once they set that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar level they don't increase that by inflation whereas currently the cap goes up a little bit every year based on inflation all right so for example i mentioned the 2023 cap is 160,200 previous 2022 was 147,000. That was a 9% increase. Now that is abnormally high if you look at the year before that between 2021 and 2022, it was about a 3% increase, okay, which is more, you know, but again, because of that crazy inflation we had, it affected a lot of the tax thresholds that are based on inflation. So back to the idea, but 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 they're not planning on increasing that two hundred fifty thousand dollar threshold. So what that means is that eventually, as the hundred and sixty thousand two hundred threshold goes up with inflation, it's going to get up to that two hundred fifty thousand. And at that point, when that's when we say the donut hole is closing, that means from that point on, a hundred percent of everybody's wages would be subject to Social Security tax, which is a huge revenue raiser and, quite frankly, a large tax increase. Now, so that's the tricky part. Um, now, President Biden has built his campaign and campaign promising that no one making under $400,000 a year would see a tax increase. So there's a little bit of a problem with Bernie Sanders' $250,000 threshold here. Do you see that, right? So maybe that is the compromise. Maybe if this gets any you know legs in it, they would say that, okay, it's not going to be $250,000. We're going to set that at $400,000. But it's the same point. Eventually, the $160,000 would get up to $400,000. Now you say, well, Mark, how long would that be? Because if you're planning on retiring, you're wondering, you're saying, is this going to affect me or not? Um, well, if you if if I took the two year average, remember I said we had a huge increase in that cap this year of nine percent, previous three percent. So that's two over years. So let's let's say it goes up six percent a year, just to, just for fun on the radio. Okay, so if the current threshold is one hundred sixty thousand two hundred, if it's increasing at six percent a year, how many years is it going to get up to that two fifty? Well, about seven to eight years. Okay. Um, now let's say they, they, their compromise is back to Biden's 400,000. Okay. How long is it, Mark? Is it going to, is the 160,200 going to get to 400,000? Well, it's about 16 years. 
Okay. And you're saying, well, that, you know, so, so that's, that's it. Now, there are, there are lots of other things in the Social Security Expansion Act as well. Another one that's gotten a lot of talk about is the, um, yeah, uh, the CPI. So, as you know, your Social Security benefits go up every year. Again, we had a big increase, an increase this year because of the inflation. But they want to change that, and and they they want to change it um, to the CPIE, which is the Consumer Price Index for elder, elderly consumers. And a lot of people say that you know technically is going to mean a lower inflation because I guess the the idea is between the one the CPI they're working right now, which is the urban workers. That has more items that people, younger working people that they're paying for that has higher price increases than what the elderly's shopping for on a daily basis. So we'll see about that. So I don't know. Again, I don't know if this has any legs, but it does, it does bring to the point where I do think any serious study about how you're going to save the solvency of Social Security, and it does have to be saved. All right, the, this cap is one that they mostly, almost uh, every study that I've ever saw that had any thought behind it had, meaning, yes, they've got to raise that cap. That cap has not stayed up with inflation, with the wage growth of this country. You know, we have a big, you know, wage wealth gap in this country. There's a lot of people making a lot more than $400,000 a year. And yeah, they've got, they have got to you know they they have to pay a bigger percentage so a percentage of the total american payroll that's go that's being taxed at social security has been dwindling and that's part of the problem so we'll stay tuned and certainly if we see this becoming law there'll be lots of things to talk about all right so let me look at a little bit more on this social security expansion act there's another piece to it that you didn't hear bernie talk about and it's kind of an important piece. <laughs> he also wants to, as, as what I was saying. So I'm a little bit. So let me let me go back. So right now, the Social Security tax or this cap that we're talking about, it's only on earned income. What we say, like wages, or if you're self-employed, your self-employed income. It's not currently on investment income like if you are earning dividends or interest or capital gains okay that does not subject to this payroll tax well under this plan it would be and that's the thresholds again that he wants to put in not for everybody but that's where for married jointly it would be 250,000 and for individuals, two hundred thousand. So I was a little bit confused before because I'm. I remember there was a two hundred thousand rule for individuals. That I believe is in the bill is just for this new investment income that would be taxed at the twelve point four percent. Okay, um, that one has the the single filer two hundred and married jointly two fifty. I think the other one just w- raising the wage cap. Um, to from one hundred sixty thousand to two hundred, that is just going up to two hundred fifty. There's no distinction between single and joint. So let me clarify that. So back to this investment income. That's what you don't hear them talk about. 
And that is something I don't know how exactly they could implement that. But anyways, we'll see what they come up with. And I personally think they're not going to come up with a solution, especially right now with the split Congress. There was a whole hoopla about this at President Biden's State of the Union address and the idea that he kept trying to say that the Republicans are trying to cut your Social Security and Republicans kept yelling out in the audience, liar, we're not. We'll see. But eventually, somebody, something is going to have to be done. All right. So you're listening to the Estate Planning Team, Incorporated. We're an Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. We've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. If you'd like more information about our firm, again, you could go to our website. Our website is financialfoodforthought.com. Same name as the radio station, Financial Food for Thought, just one string, dot com. Um, also, if, uh, again, you go on that, there will be financial articles. When we have, like, when, when Secure Act 2 comes out, we did a major, uh, we, a major thing on that. You can sign up for a newsletter. So sometimes Carrie will blast out tax law changes and you can be, you know, on that as well. You can sign up for that. You can sign up for a free consultation. And, you know, no obligation. That's where you, we can do it in person and face to face. If, you know, we, we also got in the habit of doing those over the phone during the pandemic shutdown and during the, the winter days of driving <laughs> in Cleveland that a lot of people want to skip out on. So we can do those consultations by phone or in person. It's your choice. And if you would like a free consultation, you learn more about what we do and how we build financial plans for our clients, you can call our home office at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or if you're on our website, you can sign up for a consultation right on that website. And, and if you're leaving, if you call and schedule it or leave a message over the weekend, someone will get back to you on Monday. My name is Mark Donnelly. I'm the president of the state planning team. And Carrie, as I said, is my co-worker here is uh, out this weekend on a nice cruise. So she'll have to tell us about her cruise when she gets back next weekend. All right. Another thing right now, before I talk about the tax wrappers or part two, just we're in tax planning right now, and you're probably getting your documents together. Maybe you've already got your documents together. Maybe you already got your tax return filed. Um, but one of the things that we try to get across to our clients, especially our new clients, especially if they're in retirement and they're no longer getting W-2s, but they're getting a lot of 1099s. And you're familiar with those. Those, you know, you have 1099 interest for interest. You have 1099 divs for dividends. You have 1099 B. Sometimes we call that the brokerage statements that tell you how much capital gains you had, things like that. And of course, the big one is the 1099 R's. R standing for retirement fund. Those would be for your pensions. Uh, Social Security has its own version of a 1099 R that says how much Social Security income you receive. Of course, if you take any time you take money out of a tax qualified plan, whether that's an IRA, 401k, 403b, what have you, that generates a 1099R. And those are the ones that we try to make sure that our clients 
have a have a checklist that when as they come in in the mail, they're checking it off that they've received it. Especially if you've got multiple of those of those coming in. Now we have some clients that in between the couple spouses, they may have double digit 1099 R's coming in. They may have three different IRAs that they're taking required minimum distributions for, or they've got a couple of different annuities that are kicking out annuity income and they got pensions or social security or, you know, any of these things. So over the years, we, we learned that if you're not watching that closely, you, and, and the more of those you are getting every year, the more is a chance that you're going to miss one. Not that anyone's ever got mail, you know, missed before, or even if you got receipt of it, you don't know what you did with it, but it didn't get into your tax preparer's hands. Um, and so, and, and by the way, the tax preparer, he doesn't know. I mean, he, it, unless he's doing a checklist for you. And what we found over the decades is most of them don't. They just rely on when you bring in the shopping bag of your documents, they're assuming that you've already done all that. Um, also, too, even as you're checking them off, so when we were building a, a financial plan for a client during, you know, we do our most of our year in planning, you know, previously. So we have an idea exactly how many of those 1099Rs we're expecting. And even beyond that, not only what the taxable amount of, of that we're expecting, but also did our clients make a withholding election? Did they make a federal withholding election? Did they make a Ohio withholding election? And we, we want to check those off when that gets into the mail. Yes, I'm expecting one from ABC broker, you know, company. Uh, yeah, here it is. Yep. The taxable amounts, what I took out. Yep. This is how much federal withholding I requested because a little bit of a, a, what we found over the years is that every year some of our clients get incorrect 1099 R's. Now we don't know which client it's going to be this year. It's not the same one that got a bad one last year. It won't be the same one that got an incorrect one next year, but they're wrong all the time. And we're a small shop. So, you know, now W-2s are rarely wrong, but 1099-Rs, they're wrong all the time. So just be aware of that. Okay, the tax wrappers. Um, so if you missed last week's show, you can go on our website, go to a podcast, and that's where I went over the tax wrappers. I'm not going to go over all again, but it was just the idea of talking about how the assets that you own, how are you taxed on them? Is it whether you're going to be taxed as ordinary income? Are you going to be taxed as favorable long-term capital gains? Are you going to be everybody's favorite tax-free? For example, if you're taking money out of a Roth IRA or you're using your health savings account, you know, or you're using a college 529 plan to pay for a child's college education. All right. So, so all those, but today I want to kind of see if I can make a case of why you may want to own your stocks outside of your IRA as opposed to inside your IRA. Now, a lot of times your investment advisor will say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, if your investment advisor likes to buy stocks, 
He's going to want to buy stocks in your IRA. He's going to want to buy stocks outside your IRA. He's going to want to buy stocks with any money you give him in any form. Okay. And a lot of times the tax preparer doesn't really give a lot of advice to our clients in this, this manner either. I mean, they're basically, if they're just doing the compliance, it's too late to talk about it because <laughs> all you're doing is you're going in with a shopping bag in March and saying, here's all my, here's all my information. Here's my capital gains from last year. Here's my tax. There's very little discussion about how you're, you know, how you're setting up your investment portfolios between what you're owning inside your IRAs versus what you're owning outside your IRAs. So does it make any difference? Well, I'll, let's see if I can make a case that maybe it, perhaps it does. So let's say you, you know, so basically you own a B, you know, you can own ABC stock inside your IRA. You could own it outside your IRA, right? And let's say ABC stock pays a dividend, 3% dividend. Okay. Now, so the first thing is, well, that's a qualified dividend. We're going to make that assumption. All right. Meaning that qualified dividends are taxed lower than ordinary dividends. Qualified dividends get the favorable long-term capital gain rates. All right. Now you could ask me, well, Mark, what makes a dividend qualified? Well, the general simple answer is if it's a stock that trades on a U.S. stock exchange, its dividend is going to be deemed qualified. If you want to get a little bit deeper into the weeds, you could, you know, go into the gap accounting rules that defined a dividend as something that is paid out of the corporation's retained earnings as opposed to perhaps like a real a debt obligation. For example, if the company floated debt, maybe it was bonds, maybe they borrowed from a bank, whatever, and they're paying some of that out to their you know, shareholders and it's really not being paid out of retained earnings, it's really kind of so it's like an interest payment. It's like a bond interest payment, even though they want to call it a dividend because it sounds, you know, sexier. Um, all right. So, you know, it, it's it, so, yeah, so that's the general difference. But you know what? You don't have to worry about that because when you get those 1099s, the custodian has done all the work for you. So they've gone through and they've identified of all the dividends that, that you receive from all your holdings, they have determined which ones are ordinary dividends, which one are qualified dividends. That's on that 1099. You're giving it to your CPA. They're inputting it correctly. Or if you're doing it yourself with a robot, you're, as long as you're inputting the 1099 exactly correctly, your TurboTax is going to know and make the distinguish between what they're reporting as ordinary dividends versus qualified dividends. All right. So let so so here's the situation. Whether you own the ABC stock inside your IRA or outside IRA, it's going to pay the same dividend. Okay? Now, but let's talk about the tax treatment. Because if it's outside the IRA, that qualified dividend, as we mentioned, gets the lower capital gain tax rate. That's not the case if the dividend is paid inside the IRA. So with the dividend inside your IRA, same amount of dividend, 
But that's not going to get, you know, when you take that out to spend in retirement, because that's what you remember, that's what you're supposed to do in retirement is spend your IRAs. Sometimes we, we have to remind our retirees that, about that. Um, you earned it. No one is going to enjoy it as much as you. So when you take that dividend out, you don't get the qualified dividend, right? Your tax is ordinary income. Right now, some people say, well, Mark, yeah, but I'm not taking it out. I don't need that dividend right now. Um, so let's go back. Okay. Well, so in the non-qualified status, meaning outside the IRA, let's say you're just reinvesting the dividends. You're not even spending them. Yeah. You're still going to be taxed on them. That's one of the downsides, you know, because you're taxed as you go. So if you're just, and I'm saying dividends, it could be interest, could be capital gains, but let's just say, you you know, let's say you own the stock in one of those dividend reinvestment plans, you know, where it just, anytime a dividend is paid, it just get buys more stock. Okay. We call that a drip account, right? Um, and in that scenario, it's not providing you any cash flow and it's also, you got to pay the taxes, but at least it's at the qualified lower, you know, long-term capital gain rate. Or let's just say you're not using a drip account. Let's say you're using a professional investment advisor and he's just turned on the reinvestment button, meaning that his system is automatically anytime any of your holdings pay interest or dividends or capital gains, it just gets reinvested. All right. Now, just as a side note, um, this is where we have a lot of discussions with our clients when they go into retirement. Because when you go into retirement, you should be, you know, you have to go through that phase between the accumulation phase, where you're just trying to build your nest egg bigger, into the distribution phase in your golden years, when you're supposed to enjoy what your nest egg, what you build up. Now, you may be worried that you can't enjoy it because it's not big enough. So you haven't gotten into that distribution. Even though you're no longer working, you're still, you haven't turned off the dividend reinvestment you're you you know and and so this is what happens this is what sometimes you get trapped or, or you get caught right because we've seen cases where let's say we you know throughout the whole year let's say we have a client who's typically they're getting thirty thousand dollars a year in interest dividends and capital gains from their uh, non-qualified investment accounts and they in reinvesting it all so they didn't use any of it for cash flow because they didn't think they needed any of it for cash flow. But then at the end of the year, they get the surprise, the unplanned expense. All right. And now they need some cash because it's a big enough expense that their cash reserve can't cover it. And that's a whole nother uh, show discussion. What is an adequate cash reserve? We'll save that for a later date. But in this situation, it's okay. So now what do they do? Well, they could go in and sell stock in the non-qualified, but that indeed may cause more capital gains. Or they could go in and say, well, I wasn't planning on taking out an IRA distribution or a 401k or 403b, whatever they have. But now I have this, I, I have this need. So now I'm going to take out, uh, 30, I got to buy a new car. I got to take out $30,000 out of my IRA. Well, now all of a sudden you're going to have an additional $30,000 taxable event. Right? Whereas had you been not reinvesting the $30,000 of interest, dividends, and capital gains, you would have had that cash reserve for that unplanned expense. 
Okay. Um, also, what happens if you have to take the $30,000 out of a 401k? Now there's a 20% mandatory federal withholding on that. Okay, so now you, you you take out thirty thousand. You forgot there's a twenty percent mandatory federal withholding. You get a check for twenty four thousand. What was a new car going to cost? Oh yeah, thirty. Okay, where are you getting the other six thousand? Hmm, that's never caused a problem before, has it? Hmm. Um, or it, let's say you knew you remembered there's a twenty percent mandatory federal withholding, so you have a discussion with your four hundred one k custodian saying, "I gotta gross it up. I need a net thirty. Okay, I, I, because I, that's what the car is gonna cost me. All right. So now you, so how do you, can you do that math in your head? I don't. A simple calculator will do. So you know you would take the so you if it's a twenty percent mandatory withholding, you take the thirty thousand dollars what you need. You divide that by one minus the the twenty percent, or divide it by point eighty. So you take thirty thousand divided by point eight zero, and the gross up you're going to have to ask for a distribution of thirty seven thousand five hundred. And then the 7,500 is a 20% tax, so you net your 30. But now, this is what we see is that now, though, that 37,500 tax qualified distribution just pushed you into a higher tax bracket. It pushed you past one of those thresholds you were trying to stay under. Maybe it's the zero long-term capital gain tax rate. Maybe it's where your Medicare B premiums and Medicare D premiums are going to go up because you now went through one of the IRMA thresholds. See, see, that's why we try to, you know, get a good, you know, it, it, we, we can't stress enough. It, you know, the first part about being smart around taxes is getting a good handle on your cash flow needs. And it's maintaining adequate cash reserves for those unplanned expenses. All right. Now, but let's say you don't have that expense, emergency expense. And let's say, in fact, that you never have to sell your ABC stock. Now, again, of course, if it's inside your IRA, it would be eventually subject to required minimum distributions. I mean, but I don't want to get, I'm going to stay on one path here. So let's just say that, you know, we get to the point where, um, you die and you still own it. That's, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. And by dying, I'm saying if you're single, that's upon your death. If you're, if you have a spouse, it's a time at the second death. Um, okay. So now let's look at the treatment of the ABC stock. So let's say originally you bought your stock for $75,000. And at the time of your death, it's worth $100,000. Fair market value, the date of death. Okay, so under the current law, and this is what we talked about on last week's podcast, if you want to go back and catch that, we talked about the step-up and basis rules for capital appreciating assets, right? And a very favorable treatment upon death. Um, and upon death, we're talking about at the time it's passing to a non-spouse beneficiary. Right um, now, so you you so now, since you never sold the stock in your lifetime, 
you never had to pay any capital gains tax on it. One of the benefits, right, is that you only pay capital gains taxes on realized capital gains. Um, now, let's say you, okay, so at this point, you're leaving it to, let's say, your son, and he gets his tax basis becomes the date of death value. So he gets the stock, he inherits the stock that's worth $100,000 on a date of your death. That becomes his tax basis. So if he wants to sell that stock as soon as he can, not that a beneficiary would ever sell it as soon as they can, but if they choose to do that and they have every right to do that, then they don't have to pay any capital gains tax either. And that $25,000 of capital gain just kind of never gets realized by anyone. You didn't have to pay it in your lifetime. Your kids don't have to pay it at that. That's true. That step up at basis is true for any capital appreciating asset you have. All right. Um, now, um, so let's look at the same treatment if that stock is inside an IRA and now your son is inheriting the IRA. Okay, so now he wants to get his hands on the inheritance as soon as possible, too, because he's got to buy that boat, right? All right, so he inherits the IRA. It's got a stock here. You know, it's $100,000. Um, he doesn't even realize it's taxable to him because he just thought, hey, I thought there were no estate tax issues anymore. I thought my inheritance was tax-free. Do you think they know any better? I don't know. You better ask your son. All right. Um, does he understand that? No, oh, that's not, you, know, you inherit an IRA. That's not tax free. You got to pay taxes on it. All right. Based on your tax rate. And if you take off a hundred thousand dollars in the, in the, in the first year to buy the boat, you better do some withholding on it because there is no step up basis here. Not only are your tax on the full hundred thousand as ordinary income. Hmm. So if you had your druthers, which would you rather inherit? Would you rather inherit the ABC stock inside your, your mom's IRA or would you rather inherit the stock and your mom's non-qualified? I, I, you know, so, so again, it, could you make a case that you would rather own your stock outside your IRA? Now, let me go back to and think about this. Let me let me go back to the the emergency expense discussion. Um, or it's not. Maybe it's not emergency. Maybe you have a plan to buy the car. Okay. So let let's, let me let me let me yeah. I'll I'll mix it up that way. So let's say it's not an emergency expense. Let's just say you were planning on buying a thirty thousand dollar automobile this year. All right. And now you're trying to decide. Um, you know, how you're going to pay for it. And let's say you, you know, the one client A, they've got a stock, a non-qualified stock portfolio and client B has just got an IRA, All right? Um, and it owns the, and both own the same stocks. Now let's say that, so client A, he goes to his investment advisor and say, okay, hey, look at, I need $30,000 net. And what can you do for me? Can you raise it 
at a, at, and where it's not going to cause me too much in taxes because I'm worried about that IRMA adjustment for my Medicare premiums. So investment advisor or you know client A's investment advisor said, oh yeah, um, what we can do is I'm going to look in the portfolio and I'm going to look for some losers, some of the assets that I own for you that are actually in a loss position. You have a net unrealized loss. Not that anybody had any net unrealized losses last year, right? Okay, so you it, you have unrealized losses. We call it, you can harvest those, you know. And now I'm also, Mister Smith. I'm going to look for some gainers. I'm going to look for some ones that have has an unrealized capital gain. So in my simple on the radio math, let's say he raises fifteen thousand dollars by selling gainers that creates, let's say, a five thousand dollar capital gain. And then he he raises another fifteen thousand dollars in proceeds for selling off losers that generates a five thousand dollar loss. So from a proceeds standpoint, he has his thirty thousand, but from a tax standpoint, he's at zero because the five thousand dollar loss offsets the five thousand dollar gain. All right. Now let's take client B because his $30,000 has to come out of an IRA. Well, once again, there are no capital gain losses coming out of an IRA. It all comes out, all that ordinary taxable income. And if it's coming out of a 401k, he still has the issue of that 20% mandatory federal withholding that he's got to deal with or gross up. So so those are some of the discussions that we've had with our clients over the last 36 years. And and it it's it's really it's a simple it's a simple example and it, it, real life doesn't work so neatly, but it's still the idea that is any are you thinking along these lines? Are are you you know, are, are you preparing for retirement? Are you figuring out that at some point you want to leave the accumulation phase of your lifetime to get into a distribution phase of your lifetime? And if we can do that and try to save some of taxes along the way, that may just might, that might just make your retirement plan a little bit sweeter. Night falls and I'm alone. Skin, yeah, chilled me to the bone. You 
All right, so we've got a few minutes left. My name is Mark Donnelly, and you're listening to the Estate Planning Team's Financial Food for Thought. Like I said, if anything I've said here today says, yeah, that's the type of retirement planning that I need to be thinking about, sign up for a free consultation. It's very easy to do. You can go to our website, financialfoodforthought.com. Even easier, perhaps, than that, just give us a call at our home office. Our phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2020. Just leave a message, and someone will get back to you on Monday. And we're scheduling those appointments. We can schedule them in person or by phone, whatever you're most comfortable with. Well, so just kind of a final thought on the tax wrappers and the idea of does it make more sense to own my stock inside my IRA or outside my IRA? But you all, at the end of the day, you still have to keep at your overall risk allocation. So let's say you're trying to be 50-50, where you have 50% of your money in growth or stocks and 50% of your money in fixed. So if you're trying to do this tax efficiently and say, oh, okay, I'm going to set the 50% of my growth in my non-qualified, that then means I got to have 50% of my fixed in your IRA. Now, life doesn't always treat it that way because you don't always have an equal amount between IRA and non-qualified. <laughs> but just for the radio show example... Well, that might not be so bad either, because if you're going to now fill up your IRA with typically fixed items, and let's say you don't need, you know, you know the interest items or bonds or, um, you know, things that are generating ordinary income. Well, those, it's the same rate, whether you're inside your IRA or outside IRA. Think of the big bank CD. If they're paying you the 4% for that, you know, 14-month CD, whether that CD is inside your IRA or outside your IRA, they're still paying you the same amount. Now, the difference is if you don't need that money right away, that interest, well, that's the problem we said with the non-qualified. You still have to pay taxes on it. You're getting a 1099 interest at the end of the year. But let's say in the IRA, you don't have to pay taxes on it if you don't need it right away. You can keep it tax-deferred, get that tax-deferred compounding growth. And then eventually when you do take it out, it will be taxed, but it's taxed at the same rate anyways. Whether you own the CD outside the IRA, it's taxed. The interest is taxed as ordinary income. If you own the CD inside the IRA, when you take it out, it's taxed as ordinary income. So maybe it's not such a, 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 a worst-case scenario if that's the way you have to do it. But, all right, so, so again, we'll be talking all through March. We'll be doing the March Madness topics on the show. You can always catch them on the podcast. In the last couple of minutes today, I want to so so we I said you know we'll be talking a lot about the Secure Act 2.0, and I think we'll be talking about Secure Act 2.0 for decades, quite frankly. Well, apparently there has to be a little fix to the law. Okay, the technical glitch they call that in the tax world, in the tax document writing world, in the thousands of pages that they put together, and apparently it has to do with the new rules that supposedly is helping the retirement the, or the pre-retirees and that it's increasing the contributions that you can put in to IRAs and or 401ks including the catch-up contributions you know the additional amounts that you can put in because you're older now, so the law, so this is just a little highlight of what the Secure Act 2 said. 
you know, the IRA catch-up contribution limit will be indexed annually for inflation, similar to work-sponsored catch-up contributions. So that's been one of the big down, or that's one of the big complaints about the IRA catch-up is that it hasn't gone up. <laughs> Maybe the IRA contribution annual has gone up, but the catch-up hasn't gone up. It's still $1,000. It's been $1,000. So that's changing. But the technical glitch is not in the IRAs. It's in the 401ks. So here, starting in 2025, people aged 60 to 63 will be able to contribute an additional minimum of $10,000 for 401k and similar plans, at least $5,000 extra for simple plans each year to their work-based retirement plans. Moreover, beginning in 2024, all catch-up contributions for those making more than $145,000 will be after-tax or Roth contributions. Now, those that is a very complex paragraph. And this Secure Act 2.0 is so complex, I keep saying it's going to prevent compliance. But already, very smart people who really study the tax law, not talking about the congressmen who signed or, you know, signed yes up. I'm talking about the CPAs that have to deal with it. They have found a little problem. And this was brought out in, 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 in Kiplinger tax letter came out and, and, the Treasury Department, you know, it involves 401k catch-up contributions made by people 50 and older. Retirement professionals have pointed out that the drafters of the legislation inadvertently eliminated catch-up contributions in their entirety after 2023. Whoops. But I'm sure our elected officials will get that fixed pronto. Okay, everybody have a good weekend. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.